stands The dice rule every random chance Take off your coat and stay a while We'll roll in that deep percent time Alright, so I haven't got Savage Worlds for you yet, but I have got another Bombardil bonus, and this one is a bonus and a half. I uh, got a call in from Arlen Walker from the Live from Pelham's Wasteland podcast. He's done something a little bit different this time, so he's sent me the call in, and he's also already put it up on his own podcast, so this is like a... Uh, a double cast, a double posting might cause a bit of cross-pollination across the uh, across the threads. Uh, I'm really pleased to play it though because um, this is what Ireland does. He'll take a topic that was already threatening to get a bit profound, and then he will elevate it to the next intellectual level. So there is a lot to think about here. Uh, if you've already listened to Arlen's podcast, then you should be listening to Live from Pelham's Wasteland because it's all like this. Uh, then you will have heard this. I've got some thoughts at the end, but they're not terribly profound. Uh, but do go over to Live from Pelham's Wasteland, as I say, for more of this stuff. And now take it away, Arlen. All right, Dave, I've got you a special particular call in today i'm instead of doing the regular call in thing i am doing one audio file through my own anchor recording thing and then i'm going to email it to you so that you can put it in but what i've got today is a little bit about tom bombadil and i listened to the the episode that you put together with shandy andy's call-ins and i really like that um i'm going to make the case that Tom Bombadil, rather than being unaffected by the ring by virtue of not believing in it, that Tom Bombadil instead is unaffected by the ring on the basis of his songs being nonsense. And what I mean by that is this idea that I think Tom Bombadil is an example of um, Tolkien's real kind of um, discomfort or concerns or however you might want to describe it about attempting to impose meaning upon the world. Um, And what I mean by that is that if you look at the way that songs are used within the, the whole of the legendarium, they are, about attempting to find meaning within the world largely, right? Most of them are about the history of the events that this whatever people it is who is singing has gone through, and they are about kind of trying to find meaning in that. And specifically, we get into the sort of structural idea, structuralist idea of the arbitrariness of meaning, right? That meaning is just assigned to words with nothing kind of inherent about them. The idea that, you know, there's nothing that relates the word tree to a tree aside from the decision that those two are related to each other. And I think that Tolkien himself, as a linguist, was... Uh, we can talk about kind of his own feelings, but it seems to me that as a linguist, he would be deeply interested in meaning and, and attempting to be meaningful through words. And of course he was interested in that. And yet his work, there are a couple of places where I think we can say that there is something 
that seems to be um, corrupting about that. And in, in particular, the the sort of opening of the Silmarillion with Eru Ilubitar and the song, the great song that Melkor corrupts. And you have this idea that Melkor, in attempting to put Melkor Morgoth, put his own meaning into the song in order to structure it in the way that he sees fit. He has altered the song and allowed evil into the universe because the universe is sung into existence by Eru Iluvatar and the Valar. Um, and I think what Tom Bombadil shows us is precisely how, and that gets at this idea that evil in the Lord of the Rings and in the larger legendarium is something that comes from both without and within that there's the sort of absolute evil figure of Sauron out there corrupting things, but there's also the internal evil and the idea that what makes you strong, what makes you capable, what makes you powerful is something that also causes you to turn evil, right? That's what basically all of the Gondorian characters are about uh, Boromir and Faramir and um, Denethor, right? Denethor becomes sort of evil, and I'm doing air quotes for evil, um, precisely because he is wise and he is strong, and he he's wise enough to recognize exactly how much shit that they're in at Minas Tirith and how there isn't any reasonable hope at all. And Boromir becomes evil, again, kind of air quotes for evil in this case, because he is a great captain and because he is a leader of men and because he is this powerful figure who who is a heroic figure um and i think this gets down to what is the absolute sort of source of this evil well on its most basic level perhaps there is this idea that this evil is associated with sentience and particularly the idea of language because language is so important throughout the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and the Silmarillion and then the rest of the legendarium language itself. I think what Tom Bombadil shows us is the possibility that it is language itself and the attempt to be meaningful that is at sort of the core of evilness, right? Because the hobbits are vulnerable too, right? The hobbits who are not great warriors, who are not particularly wise, who are not insightful counselors or great statesmen or anything like that. The hobbits are vulnerable to evil too, and Tom Bombadil isn't. And what's the difference? The hobbits attempt to be meaningful and they attempt to impose their meaning upon the world and they attempt – they sing songs that have – meanings and Tom Bombadil doesn't. Tom Bombadil sings nonsense. And that's that's sort of my theory about what it is that Tom Bombadil means within the Lord of the Rings. And in some ways, it's really kind of hard to come back from that because I think it, it speaks to, if we're interested, in some ways it speaks to the professor's own anxieties about language and about linguistics and about all of this creation and sort of the possibility that there is something really deeply um, corrupting about 
sort of all of this material and all of this creation and all of this attempt to be meaningful and that that there is no way around it. And I think that's central to the thematic core of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and The Silmarillion and all this, that there's no way to escape the possibility of being evil, really, because Tom Bombadil shows us essentially hypothetically how easy it could be, but it's it's something kind of impossible to do, to not be meaningful, to not use language in order to be meaningful. Um, anyway, that's kind of my theory about Tom Bombadil. Looks like I'm closing in on seven and a half minutes, so... Um, Hopefully this, I don't know if this worked any better than the, the regular system of leaving messages or not, but um, yeah, I'm trying out this. So um, be very interested to hear your thoughts on this, Dave. Well, that's great. Thanks, Harlan. Yeah, that link between language and creation. I mean, obviously it's got its theological precedence and God said, um, but I remember I first... I first encountered that in, uh, what was it, The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis, of course, Tolkien's good friend and contemporary, where Aslan sings Narnia into existence. And it's the first time I'd, I'd seen that kind of close connection. Oh, yes, one, one utters things into being. I remember as a young reader, my mind was pretty blown by that. Um, funny fact, incidentally, about the, the Inklings... Tolkien, C.S. Lewis and a few others I used to drink when I was a student in the Eagle and Child where they used to meet. What I didn't know at the time you see it in all the movies them, um, them meeting up, drinking lots and teasing each other about elves <laughs> they used to do that in the morning <laughs> they used to have a couple of pints before they went to work I think on a Tuesday morning um, which uh, yeah, I don't know if, if that always comes across in the films but uh, that's the academic life <laughs> I haven't quite got that yet. Well, this has got me thinking a few thoughts, pondering a few things, one of them being how far down does language go and what's underneath it? And does nonsense really escape language? Now, I haven't got the texts to hand and I can't remember much about what Bombadil comes out with and what type of nonsense it is, but I wonder if it really if it really escapes those possible pitfalls of language. Yeah, where to start with this? I suppose it's a Rousseauian notion that language distorts and corrupts, that we start off in the state of nature and then right from our induction into language on the mother's knee, we take on its sinister possibilities and are lost from then. I mean, where do we situate Bombadil's nonsense in relation to that, I don't think it's a, a pre-linguistic nonsense. It's not a, an infant babbling. I've read some Heideggerian interpretations of Tolkien. Of course, Tolkien is a, well, a rough contemporary of Heidegger, but I don't imagine there's any cross-pollination in their thought. Actually, I wrote a paper about C.S. Lewis and Heidegger, and I'm almost definitely sure that there's no real interaction in their thought but nevertheless they're coming out of a milieu where there are similar possibilities so the Heideggerian readings make connections between uh, the events of the Lord of the Rings and Heidegger's critique of technology so Saruman is a good example of someone who it's not just about gadgets and advancement it's about that that view whereby 
nature and its resources become sort of so much potential to be to be yoked to one's sinister purposes. Now Heidegger's ambivalent about language because on one hand there's no possibility of being without language. Well for Heidegger he famously says that language is the house of being. So trying to think of being extra-linguistically or pre-linguistically is quite quite uh, quite difficult for Heidegger. There's no, no possibility of thinking of anything given except through language. But on the other hand it is through language that this technological world picture has hold of us and that's where our tendency to want to name and categorise and calculate and measure and control uh, is situated. I'm just interested that the Heideggerian um, development goes in a different direction from the one that you suggest, Arlen, because Heidegger, the later Heidegger, takes refuge in or, or seeks redemption in poetry. So in those possibilities that language has in itself for transcending calculative thought through those um, you know, those possibilities of poetry which take you beyond conventional propositional meaning. So a digression on Heidegger anyway to, to suggest that maybe that's what's going on with Tom Bombadil. And as I say, I'd perhaps have to look at some of his nonsense to, to see if that held up. But perhaps Bombadil represents a, uh, a linguistic possibility of breaking out of those um, power structures that you were talking about. So he's finding a, a new or transcendent kind of language. Yep, I've just looked it up. Derry Dole, Derry Dole, all that. I think I like my interpretation slightly more. Did Tom Bombadil merit a Heideggerian reading? I don't know. Thanks very much, Arlen, for the call-in. That's all I've got for today. Savage World's coming up. I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact Dave, please leave a message on Anchor, email dpercentile at gmail.com, or find him on Twitter at d underscore percentile.